Story One of Dastardly Criminals in Space. Ed Reed Short Sci-Fi, Volume Four. Conspiracy and Callisto by James McRae. Chapter One. Dwayne's hand flicked to his waist and hung there, poised. His disc gun remained undrawn. The tall, white-haired man, Stevens, smiled. You're right, Dwayne, he said. I could blast you too. Nobody would win that way. So let's leave the guns where they are. The muscles twitched in Peter Dwayne's cheeks, but his voice, when it came, was controlled. Don't think we're going to let this go, he said. We'll take it up with Andreas tonight. We'll see whether you can cut me out. The white-haired man's smile faded. He stepped forward, one hand bracing him against the thrust of the rocket engines underneath, holding to the guide rail at the side of the ship's corridor. He said, Dwayne, Andreas is your boss, not mine. I'm a freelance. I work for myself. When we land on Callisto tonight, I'll be with you when you turn our, shall I say, our cargo over to him, and I'll collect my fair share of the proceeds. That's as far as it goes. I take no orders from him. A heavy-set man in blue appeared at the end of the connecting corridor. He was moving fast, but stopped short when he saw the two men. Hey, he said, change of course. Get to your cabins. He seemed about to walk up to them, then reconsidered and hurried off. Neither man paid any attention. Dwayne said, do I have to kill you? It was only a question as he asked it, without threatening. A muted alarm bell sounded through the PA speakers, signaling a one-minute warning. The white-haired man cocked his eyebrow. Not at all, he said. He took the measure of his slim, red-headed opponent. Taller, heavier, older, he was still no more uncompromisingly belligerent than Duane, standing there. Not at all, he repeated. Just take your ten thousand and let it go at that. Don't make trouble. Leave Andreas out of our private argument. Damn you! Dwayne flared. I was promised fifty thousand. I need that money. Do you think— Forget what I think, Stephen said, his voice clipped and angry. I don't care about fairness, Dwayne, except to myself. I've done all the work on this. I've supplied the goods. My price is set. A hundred thousand earth dollars. What Andreas promised you is no concern of mine. The fact is that, after I've taken my share, there's only ten thousand left. That's all you get. Dwayne stared at him a long second, then nodded abruptly. I was right the first time, he said. I'll have to kill you. Already his hand was streaking toward the grip of his disc gun, touching it, drawing it forth. But the white-haired man was faster. His arms swept up and pinioned Dwayne, holding him impotent. Don't be a fool, he grated. Dwayne! The PA speaker rattled, blared something unintelligible. Neither man heard it. Dwayne lunged forward into the taller man's grip, sliding down to the floor. The white-haired man grappled furiously to keep his hold on Peter's gun arm, but Peter was slipping away. Belatedly, Stevens went for his own gun. He was too late. Dwayne was out and leveled at him. No, you will! Now! You will listen to me! Dwayne panted, but he halted, and the muzzle of his weapon wavered. The floor swooped and surged beneath him, as the thrust of the mighty jets was cut off. Suddenly there was no gravity. The two men locked together, floated wastelessly out to the center of the corridor. Course change, gasped Whitehead Stevens. Good God! The ship had reached the midpoint of its flight, 
The bells had sounded, warning every soul on it to take shelter, to strap themselves in their pressure bunks against the deadly stress of acceleration as the ship reversed itself and began its slow, its headlong plunge into Callisto. But the two men had not heeded. The small steering rockets flashed briefly. The men were thrust bruisingly against the side of the corridor as the rocket spun lazily on its axis. The side jets flared once more to halt the spin, when the 180 turn was completed and the men were battered against the opposite wall, still weightless, still clinging to each other, still struggling. Then the main drive bellowed into life again, and the ship began to battle against its own built-up acceleration. The corridor floor rose up with blinking speed to smite them, and the lights went out in a burst of crashing pain for Peter Duane. Someone was talking to him. Duane tried to force an eye open to see who it was and failed. Something damp and clinging was all about his face, obscuring his vision. But the voice filtered in. Open your mouth, it said. Please, Peter, open your mouth. You're all right. Just swallow this. It was a girl's voice. Duane was suddenly conscious that a girl's light hand was on his shoulder. He shook his head feebly. The voice became more insistent. Swallow this, it said. It's only a stimulant to help you throw off the shock of your accident. You're right, otherwise. Obediently, he opened his mouth and choked on a warm, tingly liquid. He managed to swallow it and lay quiet as deft, feminine hands did something to his face. Suddenly, light filtered through his closed eyelids and a cool air stirred against his damp face. He opened his eyes. A slight, red-headed girl in white nurse's uniform was standing there. She stepped back a pace, a web of wet gauze bandage in her hands, looking at him. Hello, he whispered. You, where am I? In the sick bay, he said. You got caught out when the ship changed course. Lucky you weren't hurt, Peter. The man you were with, the old white-haired one, Stevens, wasn't so lucky. He was underneath when the jets went on. Three ribs broken. His lung was punctured. He died in the other room an hour ago. Duane screwed his eyes tight together and grimaced. When he opened them again, there was alertness and clarity in them, but there was also bafflement. Girl, he said, who are you? Where am I? Peter, there was shock and hurt in the tone of her voice. I'm, don't you know me, Peter? Duane shook his head confusedly. I don't know anything, he said. I, I don't even know my own name. Duane, Duane, the man's heavy voice said. I won't wash. Don't play dumb on me. Duane, he said. Duane. He swiveled his head and saw a dark squat man frowning at him. Who are you? Peter asked. The dark man laughed. Take your time, Duane, he said easily. You'll remember me. My name's Andreas. I've been waiting here for you to wake up. We have some business matters to discuss. The nurse, still eyeing Duane with an odd bewilderment, said, I'll leave you alone for a moment. Don't talk too much to him, Mr. Andreas. He's still suffering from shock. I won't, Andreas promised, grinning. Then, as the girl left the room, the smile dropped from his face. You play rough, Duane, he observed. I thought you'd have trouble with Stevens. I didn't think you'd find it necessary to put him out of the way so permanently. Well, no matter. If you had to kill him, it's no skin of my nose. Give me a release on the merchandise. I've got your money here. Duane waved a hand and pushed himself dizzily erect. 
swinging his legs over the side of the high cut. His sheet had been thrown over him, but he was fully dressed. He examined his clothing with interest. Grey tunic, grey leather spaceman's boots. It was unfamiliar. He shook his head in further confusion, and the motion burst within his skull, throbbing hotly. He closed his eyes until it subsided, trying to force his brain to operate, to explain to him where and what he was. He looked at the man named Andreas. Nobody seems to believe me, he said, but I really don't know what's going on. Things are moving too fast for me. Really, I... why, I don't even know my own name. My head, it hurts. I can't think clearly. Andreas straightened, turned a darkly suspicious look on Duane. Don't play tricks with me, he said savagely. I haven't time for them. I won't mince words with you. Give me a release on the cargo now before I have to get rough. This is a lot more important to me than your life is. Go to hell, Duane said shortly. I'm playing no tricks. There was an instant doubt in Andreas's eyes. Then it flashed away. He bent closer, peered at Duane. I almost think, he began. Then he shook his head. No, he said. You're lying, all right. You killed Stevens to get his share, and now you're going to hold me up. That's your last chance that just went by, Duane. From now on, I'm running the show. He spun around and strode to the door, thrust it open. Taken, he bellowed. Read. Two large, ugly men in filled grey uniforms emblazoned with the shooting star insignia of Callisto's League Police came in, looking to Andreas for instructions. Duane here is resisting arrest, Andreas said. Take him along. We'll fix up the charges later. You can't do that, Duane said wearily. I'm sick. If you've got something against me, save it. Wait till my head clears. I'm sure I can explain. Explain how? The dark man laughed. If I wait, the ship will be blasting off a of Ganymede within two hours. Oh, wait, but so will the ship. It's not going anywhere till I give it clearance. I run, Callisto. I'll give the orders here. Chapter 2 Whoever this man Andreas was, thought Duane, he was certainly a man of importance on Callisto. As he said, he gave the orders. The crew of the rocket made no objection when Andreas and his men took Duane off without a word. Duane had thought the nurse, who seemed a good enough sort, might have said something on his behalf, but she was out of sight as they left. A curt sentence to a grey-clad official on the blast field where the rocket lay, and the man nodded and hurried off to tell the rocket's captain that the ship was being refused clearance indefinitely. The long, powerful ground car slid up before them. Andreas got in front while the two uniformed men shoved Duane into the back of the car and climbed in beside him. Andreas gave a curt order, and the car shot forward. The driver sitting beside Andreas leaned forward and readied a hand under the dashboard. The high wail of a siren came instantly from the car's roof, and what traffic was on the broad, straight highway into which they had turned pulled aside to let them race through. Ahead lay the tall spires of a city. Graceful, hundreds of feet high, they seemed dreamlike, yet somehow oddly familiar to Duane. Somewhere he had seen them before. He dragged deep into his mind, plumbing the cloudy, impenetrable haze that had settled on it, trying to bring forth the memories that he should have had. Amnesia, they called it complete forgetting of the happenings of a lifetime. It heard of it, 
but never dreamed it could happen to him. My name, it seems, is Peter Duane, he thought, and they tell me that I killed a man. The thought was starkly incredible to him. A white-haired man, it had been, someone named Stevens. He tried to remember. Yes, there had been a white-haired man, and there had been an argument, something to do with money, for the shipment of goods that Stevens had supplied to Duane. There has even been talk of killing. But murder? Duane looked at his hands helplessly. Andreas up ahead was turning around. He looked sharply at Duane for a long second. An uncertainty clouded his eyes, and abruptly he looked forward again without speaking. Who's this man, Andreas? Duane whispered to the nearest guard. The man stared at him. Governor Andreas, he said, is a league's deputy on Crystal. You know, the Earth-Mars League. They put Governor Andreas here to, well, to govern for them. League? Duane asked, wrinkling his brow. He had heard something about a league once, yes, but it was all so nebulous. The other guard stirred, leaned over. Shut up, he said heavily. There are plenty of chance for talking later. But the chance was a long time in coming. Duane found himself an hour later, still in the borrowed room into which he'd been thrust. The guards had brought him there, at Andreas's order, and left him. That had been all. This was not a regular jail, Duane realized. It was more like a palace, something out of Earth's Roman Empire days, all white stone and frescoed walls. Duane wished for human companionship, particularly that of the nurse, of all the people he'd met since awakening in that hospital bed. Only she seemed warm and human. The others were brutal, deadly. It was too bad, Duane reflected, that he'd failed to remember her. She seemed hurt, and she had certainly known him by his first name. But perhaps she would understand. Duane sat down on a lumpy, sagging bed and buried his head in his hands. Dim ghosts of memory were wandering in his mind. He tried to conjure them into stronger relief, but to exorcise them entirely. Somewhere, sometime, a man had said to him, Andreas is secretly arming the Callistan cutthroats revolt against the League. He wants personal power. He's prepared to pay any price for it. He needs guns, earth guns smuggled into the League patrol. If you can wipe out the League police garrison, those who are loyal to the League still, instead of to Andreas, he can sit back and laugh at any fleet Earth and Mars can send. Rockets are clumsy in an atmosphere. They're helpless. And if he can arm enough of Callisto's rabble, he can't be stopped. That's why he'll pay for electron rifles with their weight in gold. Duane could remember the scene clearly, could almost see the sharp, aquiline face of the man who had spoken to him. But there memory stopped. A fugitive recollection raced through his mind. He halted it, dragged it back, pinned it down. They had stopped in Darkseid, the spaceport on the side of Luna that keeps perpetually averted from Earth, as if the moon knows shame and wants to hide the rough and roaring dome city that nestles in one of the great craters. Duane remembered sitting in a low-ceilinged smoke-heavy room across the table from a tall man with white hair, Stephen. Four thousand electron rifles, the man had said. Latest government issue. Never mind how I got them. They're perfect. You know my price. Take it or leave it. And it's payable the minute we touch ground on Callisto. There had been a few minutes of haggling over terms, then a handshake, 
and a drink from a thin-necked flagon of pale yellow liquid fire. He and the white-haired man had gone out then, made their way by unfrequented side streets to a great windowless building. Duane remembered the white-hot stars overhead, shining piercingly through the great transparent dome that kept the air in the sealed city of Darkside. As they stood at the entrance of the warehouse and spoke in low tones to the man who answered their summons, then inside, and they were looking at a huge chamber full of stacked fiber boxes, containing nothing but dehydrated dairy products and mining tools by the stencils they bore. Drain had turned to the white-haired man with a puzzled question, and the man had laughed aloud. He dragged one of the boxes down, ripped it open with the sharp point of a handling hook. Short-barreled, flare-mouthed guns rolled out, tumbling over the floor. Eight of them were in that one box, and hundreds of boxes all about. Duane picked one up, broke it, peered into the chamber where the tiny capsule of U-235 would explode with infinite violence when the trigger was pulled, spraying radiant death three thousand yards in the direction the gun was aimed. And that memory ended. Duane got up, stared at his haggard face in the cracked mirror over the bed. They say I'm a killer, he thought. Apparently I'm a gunrunner as well. Good Lord, what am I not? His reflection, white drawn face, made all the more pallid by the red hair that blazed over it, stared back at him. There was no answer there. If only he could remember. All right, Dwayne, the deep voice of a guard came to him as the door swung open. Stop making eyes at yourself. Dwayne looked around. The guard beckoned. Governor Andreas wants to speak to you, now. Let's not keep the governor waiting. A long, narrow room with a long carpet leading from the entrance up to a great heavy desk. That was Andreas's office. Duane felt a click in his memory as he entered. One of the ancient earth dictators had employed just such a psychological trick to overawe those who came to beg favors of him. Muslini or some such name. The trick failed to work. Duane had other things on his mind. He walked the thirty-foot length of the room, designed to imbue him with a sense of his own unimportance as steadily as he'd ever walked in the open air of his home planet, whichever planet that was. The guard had remained just inside the door, at attention. Andreas waved him out. Who I am, said Dwayne. What do you want? Andreas said, I've had the ship inspected, and what I want is on it. It saves your life for now, but the cargo is in your name. I could take it by force if I had to. I prefer not to. He picked up a paper, handed it to Duane. In spite of your behavior, you can keep alive. You can even collect the money for the guns, Stephen's share as well as your own. This is a release form, authorizing my men to take 420 cases of dehydrated foods and drilling supplies from the hold of the Cameroon, the ship you came on. Sign it, and we'll forget our argument. Only sign it now, and get it over with. I'm losing patience, Duane. Duane said, without expression, No. Dark red flooded into Andreas's sallow face. His jaws bunched angrily, and there was a ragged thread of incomplete control to his voice as he spoke. I'll have your neck for this, Duane, he said softly. Duane looked at the man's eyes. Death was behind them, peeping out. Mentally, he shrugged. What difference did it make? Give me the pen, he said shortly. Andreas exhaled a deep breath. He could see the tension leave him. The mottled anger fade from his face. 
and leave it without expression. He handed the paper to Duane without a word. He gave him a pen, watched him scrawl his name. That, he said, is better. He paused a moment ruminatively. It would have been better still if you had not stalled me so long. I find that hard to forgive in my associates. The money, Peter said. If he were playing a part, pretending he knew what he was doing, he might as well play it to the hilt. When do I get it? Andreas picked up the paper and looked carefully at the signature, creased it thoughtfully, stowed it in a pocket before answering. Naturally, he said, there'll have to be a revision of terms. I offered a hundred and ten thousand earth dollars. I would have paid it, but you made me angry. You'll have to pay for that. Duane said, I paid already. I've been dragged from pillar to post by you. That's enough. Pay me what you owe me, if you want any more of the same goods. That was a shot in the dark, and it missed the mark. Andreas's eyes widened. You amaze me, Duane, he said. He rose and stepped around the desk, confronting Duane. I almost thought you really have lost your memory, Duane, he said. Otherwise, surely you would know that this is all the rifles I need. With them, I'll take whatever else I want, Duane said. You're ready, then. He took time to think it over, but he knew that no thought was required. Already the hands that he had locked behind him were clenched, taut. Already the muscles of his legs were tensing. You're ready, he repeated. You've armed the Callistan exiles, the worst gutter scum on nine planets. You're set to betray the League that gave you power here. Well, that changes things. I can't let you do it. He hurled himself at Andreas, hands sweeping around to grapple for the dark man's throat. Andreas, off balance, staggered backward, but his own hands were diving for the twin heat guns that hung at his waist. Duane saw his danger and reacted. His foot twisted around Andreas's ankle. His hands at the other's throat gripped tighter. He lunged forward, slamming the hard top of his head into the other's face, feeling flesh and cartilage give as Andreas's nose mashed flat. His own head pinwheeled dizzily, agonizingly as the jaw revived the pain of his earlier accident. But Andreas, unconscious already, tumbled back with Duane on top of him. His head made an audible, spine-chilling thud as it hit the carpeted floor. Duane got up, retrieving the two heat guns, and stared at him. They tell me I killed Stevens the same way, he thought. I'm getting in a rut. But Andreas was not dead, though he was out as cold as the void beyond Pluto. The thick carpeting had saved him from a broken head. Duane stepped over the unconscious man and looked around the room. It was furnished severely to the point of barrenness. Two chairs before Andreas's ornate, bare-topped desk, and one luxurious chair behind it. A tasseled bell cord within easy reach of Andreas's chair. The long carpet. That was all it contained. The problem of getting out was serious, he saw. A good one. Chapter 3 Methodically, he ransacked the drawers of Andreas's desk. Papers, a whole arsenal of handguns, Calliston money by the bale, ominously black-covered notebooks with cryptic figures littering their pages. Those were the contents. A coldly impersonal desk, without the familiar trivia most men accumulate. There was nothing, certainly, that would get him out of a building that so closely resembled a fortress. He tumbled the things back into the drawers helter-skelter turned Andreas over and searched his pockets. More money, 
the man must have had a fortune within reach at all times, and a few meaningless papers. Duane took the release he had signed and tore it to shreds, but that was only a gesture. When Andreas came to, unless Duane had managed to get away and accomplished something, the mere lack of written permission would not keep him from the rocket's lethal cargo. When Andreas came to. An idea bloomed in Duane's brain. He looked then at unconscious Andreas, and the idea withered again. He had thought of facing Andreas himself to front for him at gun's point in the conventional manner of escaping prisoners. But fistfights, fiction to the contrary notwithstanding, leave marks on the men who lose them. Andreas's throat was speckled with the livid marks of Duane's fingers. Duane's head, butting Andreas in the face, had taken a thick stream of crimson from his nostrils, turned his sharp nose askew. No guard of Andreas's would have been deceived for an instant, looking at that face, even assuming that Andreas could have been forced to cooperate with the threat of a gun, which, considering the stake Andreas had in this play, was doubtful. He looked up and looked around. He had to act quickly. Already Andreas's breath was audible. He saw the man grimace, and an arm flopped spasmodically on the floor. Consciousness was on its way back. Duane touched the heat gun he'd thrust into his belt, drew it and held it poised, while he sought to discover what was in his own mind. He'd killed a man already, they said. Was he then a killer? Could he shoot Andreas now, in cold blood, with so much to gain and nothing to lose? He stood there a moment. Then, abruptly, he reversed the weapon and chopped it down on Andreas's skull. There was a sharp grunt from the still unconscious man, but no other sign. Only the first tremors of movement that had shown on him halted and did not reappear. No, Duane thought, whatever they say, I'm not a killer. But still he had to get out. How? Once more he stared about the room, catalogued its contents. The guard would be getting impatient. Perhaps any minute he would tap the door, first timorously, then with heavier strokes. The guard, there was a way. Duane eyed the length of the room. Thirty feet, it would take him a couple of seconds to run it at full speed. Was that fast enough? There was only one way to find out. He walked around the desk to the bell cord. He took a deep breath, tugged it savagely, and at once was in speedy motion, racing toward the door, his footsteps muffled in the deep, springy carpet. Almost as he reached it, he saw it began to open. He quickly sidestepped and was out of the guard's sight. Behind the door as the man looked in. Quick suspicion flared in his eyes, then certainty as he saw Andreas huddled on the floor. He opened his mouth to cry out, but Duane's arm was around his throat, and he had no breath to spare. Duane's foot lashed out, and the door slammed shut. Duane's bald left fist came up and connected with the guard's chin. Abruptly the man slumped. Duane took a deep breath and let the man drop to the floor. But he paused only a second. Now he had two unconscious men on his hands, and he dared let neither revive until he was prepared. He grasped the guard's arm and dragged him roughly the length of the room. He leaped on top of the desk, brutally scarring its gleaming top with the hard spikes of his boots. His agile fingers unfastened the long bell cord without causing it to ring, and, bearing it, he dropped again to the floor. 
Tugging and straining, he got the limp form of Andreas into his own chair, bound him with the bell cord, gagged him with the priceless Venus wool scarf Andreas wore knotted about his throat. He tested his bindings with full strength and smiled. Those would hold, let Andreas struggle as he would. The guard he stripped of clothing, bound and gagged with his own belt and spaceman's kerchief. He dragged him around behind the desk, thrust him under it out of sight. Andreas's chair he turned so that the unconscious face was averted from the door. Should anyone look in, then, the fact of Andreas's unconsciousness might not be noticed. Then he took off his own clothes, quickly assumed the filled grey uniform of the guard. It felt like the skin of a fruit. He felt himself bulging out of it in a dozen places. The long cape the guard wore would conceal that, perhaps. In any case, there was nothing better. Trying to make his stride as martial as possible, he walked down the long carpet to the door, opened it, and stepped outside. His luck couldn't hold out forever. It was next to miraculous that he got as far as he did, out of the anteroom before Andreas's office, past the two guards there who eyed him absently but said nothing, down the great entrance hall, straight out the front door. Going through the city had been easier, of course. There were many men in uniforms like this. Dwayne thought, then, that Andreas's power could not have been too strong, even over the League police, whom he nominally commanded. The police could not all have been corrupt, though too many of them. Had they been turncoats, aiding Andreas in his revolt against the League, there would have been no need to smuggle rifles in for an unruly mass of civilians. Duane cursed the lack of foresight of the early Earth governments. They had made a prison planet of Callisto, had filled it with the worst scum of Earth. Then, when damage had been done, when Callisto had become a pest hole among the planets, its iniquities a stench that rose to the stars, they had belatedly found that they had created a problem worse than the one they tried to solve, one like a hydra beast. Criminality was not a thing of heredity. The children of the transported convicts, most of them, were honest and wanted to be respectable, and they could not be. Earth's crime rate, too, had not been lowered materially by exiling its gangsters and murderers to Callisto. When it was long past time, the League had stepped in and set a governor of its own over Callisto. If the governor had been an honest man, a satisfactory solution might have been worked out. The first governor had been honest. Under him, great strides had been made. The bribe-proof, gun-handy League police had stamped out the wide-open plague spots of the planet. Public works had been begun on a large scale. The beginnings of representative government had been established. But the first governor had died, and the second governor had been Andreas. You can see the results, Duane thought grimly, as he swung into the airfield in his rented ground car. Foreboding was stamped on the faces of half the glistens he'd seen, and dark treachery in the others. Some of those men had been among the actual exiled criminals. The last convict ship had landed only a dozen years before. All of those whom Andreas planned to arm were either of the original transportation men or their weaker descendants. What was holding Andreas back? Why the need for smuggling guns in? The answer to that, Duane thought, was encouraging, but not conclusive. Clearly, then, Andreas did not have complete control over the League police. But how much control he did have, what officers he had won over to treachery, Duane could not begin to guess. Duane slid the car into a parking slot, switched off the ignition and left it. It was night, but the short Calliston dark period was nearly over. A pearly glow at the horizon 
showed where the sun would come bulging over in a few minutes, while at the opposite rim of the planet he could still see the blood-red disk of mighty Jupiter lingering for a moment, casting a crimson hue over the landscape before it made the final plunge. The field was not floodlighted. Traffic was scarce on Callisto. Duane, almost invisible in the uncertain light, stepped boldly out across the jet-blasted tarmac toward the huge bulk of the Cameroon, the rocket transport which had brought him. Two other ships lay on the same seared pavement, but they were smaller. They were fighting ships, small speedy ones, in Callisto for refueling before returning to the League's ceaseless patrol of the system's star lanes. Duane hesitated briefly, wondering whether he ought to go to one of those ships and tell his story to its League commander. He decided against it. There was too little certainty for him there. Too much risk that the commander, even, might be a tool of Andreas's. Duane shook his head angrily. If only his memory were clear. If only he could be sure what he was doing. He reached the portal of the ship. A grey-clad league officer was there, standing guard, to prevent the ship taking off. Official business, Duane said curtly, and swept by the startled man before he could object. He hurried along the corridor toward the captain's office and control room. Purser, he passed, looked at him curiously, and Duane averted his face. If the man recognized him, there might be questions. For the thousandth time, he cursed the grey cloud that overhung his memory. He didn't know even who among the crew might know him and spread the alarm. Then he was at the door marked, Crew only, do not enter. He tapped on it, then grasped the knob and swung it open. A squat, open-featured man in blue, the bronze eagle of the mercantile service resting lightly on his powerful shoulders, looked at him. Recognition flared in his eyes. Duane, he whispered. Peter Duane, what are you doing in the clothes of Andreas's household guard? Duane felt the tenseness ebb out of his throat. He was a friend. Captain, he said, you seem to be a friend of mine. If you are, I need you. You see, I've lost my memory. Lost your memory? The captain echoed. You mean that blow on your head? The ship's surgeon said something. Yes, that was it. I hardly believed in, though. But were we friends? Why, yes, Peter. And help me now, said Duane. I have a cargo stored in your hold, Captain. Do you know what it is? Why, yes, the rifles, you mean. Duane blinked. He nodded then looked dizzily for a chair. The captain was a friend of his, all right, a fellow gunrunner. Good God, he said aloud. What a mess. What's happened? The captain asked. I saw you in the corridor arguing with Stevens. You looked like trouble, and I should have come up to you then, but the course was to be changed, and I had to be there. And the next I hear Stevens is dead, and you maybe killed him. Then I heard you've lost your memory, and are in a jam with Andreas. He paused, and speculation came into his eyes, almost hostility. Peter Duane, he said softly, it strikes me that you may have lost more than your memory. Which side are you on? What happened between you and Andreas? Tell me now if you've changed sides on me, man. For friendship's sake, I won't be too hard on you. But there's too much at stake here. Oh, hell, said Peter. And the heat gun was suddenly in his hand, leveled at the squat man in blue. I wish you were on my side. But there's no way I can tell. I can trust myself, I think. But that's all. Put up your hands. And that was when his luck ran out. Peter, the captain began. Chapter 4 But a sound from outside halted him. Together the two men stared at the viewplates. The siren had begun to shriek in the distance. The siren of a racing ground car. Through the gates it plunged, scattering the light wooden barrier. 
It spun crazily around on two wheels and came roaring for the ship. Andreas was in it. Peter turned on the captain, and the gun was rigidly outthrust in his hands. Close your ports, he snarled. Up rockets, in a hurry. Listen, Peter, the captain began. I said hurry. The car's brakes shrieked outside, and it disappeared from the view of the men. There was an abrupt babble of voices. Close your ports, Peter shouted savagely. Now! The captain opened his mouth to speak, then snapped it shut. He touched the stud of a communication set, set into it. Close ports, snap to it, engine room, up rockets in ten seconds. All crew, stand by for lift. The ship's own takeoff siren howled shrilly, drowning out the angry voices from below. Peter felt the whine of the electrics that dugged, shut the heavy pressure doors. He stepped to the pilot's chair, slid into it, buckled the compression straps around him. The instruments, he recognized them all, knew how to use them. Had he been a rocket pilot before his mind had blanked, before embarking on the more lucrative profession of gun smuggler? He wondered. But it was the captain who took the ship off. Ten seconds, Peter said. Get moving! The captain hesitated the barest fraction, but his eyes were on the heat gun, and he knew that Duane was capable of using it. The men, he said, if they're underneath and the jets go, they'll burn. That's the chance they take, said Duane. They heard the siren. The captain turned his head quickly, and his fingers flashed out. He was in his own acceleration seat, too, laced down by heavy canvas webbing. His hands reached out to the controls before him, and his fingers took on a life of their own as they wove dexterously across the keys, setting up fire patterns, charting a course of takeoff. Then the hail of his hand settled on the firing stop. The acceleration was worse than Peter's clouded mind had expected, but no more than he could stand. In his frame of mind, he could stand almost anything, he thought, short of instant annihilation. The thin air of Callisto howled past them, forming a high obligato to the thunder of the jets. Then the air howl faded sharply to silence, and the booming of the rockets became less a thing of sound than a rumble in the framework of the Cameroon. They were in space. The captain's foot kicked the pedal to shut off the overdrive jets, reducing the thrust to a mere one-gravity acceleration. He turned to Duane. What now? he asked. Duane, busy unstrapping himself from the restraining belts, shook his head without answer. What now? A damn good question, he thought. The captain, with the ease of long practice, was already out of his own pressure straps. He stood there by his chair, watching Duane closely, but the gun was still in Duane's hand, despite his preoccupation. Duane cocked an ear as he threw off the last strap. Did he hear voices in the corridor, a distance away but coming? The captain, looking out the port with considerable interest, interrupted his train of thought. What? he asked. For instance, are you going to do about those? His arm was outstretched, pointing outward and down. Duane looked in that direction. The two patrol rockets were streaking up after his commandeered ship, fairy-like in their pastel shades, with a delicate tracery of girders over their fighting noses. They nevertheless represented grim menace to Duane. He swore under his breath. The Cameroon, huge and lumbering, was helpless as a sitting bird before those light hawks of prey. If only he knew which side the ships were on, if only he knew anything. He couldn't afford to take a chance. Stand back, he ordered the captain. The man in blue gave ground before him, staring wonderingly as Duane advanced. Duane took a quick look at the control setup tried to remember how to work it. 
It was so tantalizingly close to his memory. He cursed again, then stabbed down on a dozen keys at random, heeled the main control down, jumped back, even as the ship careened madly about in its flight, and blasted the delicate controls to shattered ashes with a bolt from his heat gun. Now the ship was crippled, for the time being at least, short of a nigh-impossible boarding in space, the two patrol cruisers could do nothing with it till the controls were repaired. Cameroon and its cargo of political dynamite would circle through space for hours or days. It wasn't much, but it was the best he could do. At least it would give him time to think things over. No, he heard the voices of the men in the corridor again, tumbled about by the abrupt course change. Luckily it had been only a mild thing compared to the one that had killed Stevens and caused his own present dilemma, but were gaining their feet and coming on, and one of the voices, loud and harsh, was Andreas. Somehow, before the ports closed, it managed to bore the Cameroon. Duane stood erect, whirled to face the door. The captain stood by it. Duane thrust his heat gun at him. The door, he commanded. Lock it. Urged by the menace of the heat gun, the captain hurriedly put out a hand to the lock of the door and jerked it back, nursing smashed knuckles as Andreas and four men burst in, hurling the door open before them. They came to a sliding, tumbling halt, though, as they faced grim Duane and his ready heat pistol. Hold it, he ordered. That's right. Stay that way while I figure things out. The first man that moves dies for it. Dark blood flooded into Andreas's face, but he said no word, only stood there glaring hatred. The smear of crimson had been brushed from his face, but his nose was still awry, and a huge, purplish bruise was spreading over it and across one cheek. The three men with him were guards. All were armed, the police with hand weapons as lethal as Duane's own, Andreas with an old-style projective-type weapon, an ancient pistol snatched from some bewildered spaceman as they burst into the Cameroon. Duane braced himself with one arm against the pilot's chair and stared at them. The crazy circular course the blasted controls had given the ship had a strong lateral component. Around and around the ship went, in a screaming circle, chasing its own tail. There was a sudden change in the light from the port outside. Duane involuntarily looked up for a moment. Dulled and purplish was the gleam from the brilliant stars all about. The Cameroon, in its locked orbit, had completed a circle and was plunging through its own wake of expelled jet gases. He saw the two patrol rockets streak past, then saw the flood of rocket flares from their side jets as they spun and braked, trying to match course and speed with the crazy orbit of the Cameroon. He looked away for only a second. Abruptly, he looked back. Easy, he snapped. Andreas's arm, which had begun to lift, straightened out, and the scowl in the governor's face darkened even more. Clackety-clack. There was the sound of a girl's high heels running along the corridor, followed by heavier thumps from the space boots of men. Duane jerked his gun at Andreas and his police. Out of the way, he said. Let's see who's coming now. It was the girl, red hair fluttering in the wake of her running, face alight with anxiety. She burst into the room. Peter, she cried. Andreas and his men. She stopped short and took in the tableau. Duane's eyes were on her and he was about to speak. Then he became conscious of something in her own eyes, a sudden spark that flared even before her lips opened, and a thin cry came from them, even before she leaped to one side, at Andreas. 
Peter cursed and tried to turn, to dodge, tried to bring his heat gun around, but a thunder louder than the bellowing jets outside filled the room, and a streak of livid fire crossed the fringe of Peter's brain. Sudden blackness closed in around him. He fell, and his closing eyes saw new figures running into the room, saw the counterplay of lashing heat beams. This is it, he thought grimly, and then thought no more. Chapter 5 Duane was in the sick bay again, in the same bed. His head was spinning agonizedly. He forced his eyes open, and the girl was there, the same girl. She was watching him. A cloud on her face lifted as she saw his lids flicker open. Then it descended again. Her lips quivered. Darn you, Peter, she whispered. Who are you now? Why, why, I'm Peter Duane, of course, he said. Well, thank God you know that. It was the captain. It changed since the last time Peter had seen him. One arm was slung in bandages that bore the yellow seeping tint of burn salve. Peter shook his head to try to clear it. Where, where am I? he asked. Andreas. Andreas is where he won't bother you, the captain said. Locked up below, so are two of his men. The other one's dead. How's your memory, Peter? Duane touched it experimentally with a questing mental finger. It seemed all right, though he felt still dazed. Coming along, he said. But where am I? The controls, I blasted them. The captain laughed. I know, he said briefly. Well, I guess you had to in a way. You didn't trust anyone, couldn't trust anyone. You had to make sure the rifles wouldn't get back to Callisto too soon. But they're working on installing duplicates now, Peter. In an hour we'll be back on Callisto. We shut the jets off already. We're in an orbit. Duane sank back. Listen, he said. I think, I think my memory is clearing somehow. But how? I mean, were you on my side all along? The captain nodded soberly. On your side, yes, Peter, he said. The League's side, that is. You and I, you know, both work for the League. When they got word of Andreas's plans, they had to work fast. To move in by force would have meant bloodshed, would have forced his hand. That would have been utterly bad. It was too dangerous. Callista was politically a powder keg already. The whole thing might have exploded. Peter's eyes flared with sudden hope and enlightenment. And you and I, he began. You and I and a couple of other undercover workers were put on the job, the captain nodded. We had to find out who Andreas's supporters were and to keep him from getting more electron rifles while the commanders of the Callisto garrison were quietly checked to see who was on which side. They found Andreas's earth backers, a group of wealthy malcontents who thought Callisto should be exploited for their gain had made secret deals with him for concessions. You, of course, slowed down the delivery of the rifles as long as you could. They lay in the lunar warehouses a precious extra week while you haggled over terms. That's what you were doing with Stevens, I think, when the course change caught you both. You've had him long enough, the nurse broke in. I have a few words to say. No, wait, Duane protested, but the captain was grinning broadly. He moved toward the door. Later, he said over his shoulder, there'll be plenty of time. The door closed behind him. Duane turned to the girl. He shook his head again. The cloud was lifting. He could almost remember everything again. Things were beginning to come into focus. This girl, for instance. She noticed his motion. How's your head, Peter? She asked solicitously. Andreas hit you with that awful old bullet gun. I tried to stop him, but all I could do was jar his arm. Oh, Peter, I was so afraid when I saw you fall. You probably saved my life, Peter said soberly. Andreas struck me as a pretty good shot. 
He tried to grin. The girl frowned. Peter, she said. I'm sorry if I seemed rude before the last time you were here. It was just that I... Well, you didn't remember me. I couldn't understand. Peter stared at her. Yes, he should remember her. He did, only... Perhaps this will help you, the girl said. She rummaged in a pocket of her uniform, brought something out that was tiny and glittering. I don't wear it on duty, Peter, but I guess this is an exception. Peter pushed himself up on one elbow, tried to make out what she was doing. She was slipping the small thing on a finger. A ring. An engagement ring. Oh, said Peter. And suddenly everything clicked. He remembered. He could recall everything. That second blow on his head had undone the harm of the first one. He swung his legs over the side of the bed, stood up, reached out hungry arms for the girl. Of course I remember, he said, as she came into the circle of his arms. Ring on your finger. I ought to remember. I put it there. And for a long time after, there was no need for words.